Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Welcome to this. Okay. Oh, welcome to the Building Science. To the Building Science Podcast. 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 Welcome to the Building Science Podcast. Bringing the human factor to architecture and design. Brought to you by Positive Energy in Austin, Texas. Okay. Hello and welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the Building Science Podcast. I'm Christoph Irwin here solo today. As far as the podcast team, I am here with Dan Whitmore. Those of you who know him know this is going to be a treat. Dan is manager and investor at Red Door Sustainable Housing, and he is also project manager, manager and site superintendent for Cascade Build, and they're the construction company here. And here is the Red Willow Project. This is a affordable. A multifamily project, which we're going to hear a lot about, and we're going to just going to dig in. Um, first of all, Dan, welcome. Thank you. And um, in your own words, would you like to expand on that introduction? Oh, no, thanks. It was great. One thing I always like to emphasize: I come, I, I love the trades. I come from the trades. Mm. I, I just, you know, I, I've always liked working with my hands and 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 the, and the puzzles. And uh, and so, um, I know many folks out there from the consulting side of things or projects. I've gotten to work with a lot of folks and a lot of projects um, across the across the country, even uh, internationally, from a consulting standpoint. But um, just what really, as as we get older in life, uh, what do you re- you return to things you love? And so, yeah, I just wanted to return to, to actually building a building. So that's what I'm with you. I'm, you got me nodding. There is something about just the. The simplicity and and yet the skill and hard work involved and uh, not just that. What is it? It's the. It's like we we live in this world that's full of this like get rich quick by being clever or tricky, and you know you, you can't tricky carpentry. You can't you know cut and paste or. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The, the variables. Oh, what's the weather like today? Oh, what's the oh what's the what's the traffic like for my delivery? Oh, what's the mood of the people I'm working with? And yeah. So it's it's very very. A part of life, a part of like the everything going on around us. Yeah, um, and uh, and it, it just and you know you work you work away, blood, sweat, and tears, and uh, but also joy and smiles and you know, joking around and and uh, you know you come out the end of a day or a week or a month or a year with uh, with uh, tangible things that people live in. I love it. Yeah, we're creating housing. That's what we're doing here, and we're celebrating the trades. That's great. Yeah. You're also a bit of a nerd. You teach CPHC classes, so I teach the builder side now. Uh, way back when, I taught the VO CPHC class, but um, uh, it was hmm. uh, there were enough other good people to teach the CPHC, and I like the science of it, but um, I really like the other part, the building part. And so, um, uh, Fias asked me to help uh, help put together a, a program. So we put together a the builder program. So that was what I, 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 so you were part of putting that together. I, I was, uh, I was the, I, I gave it the first flush and then Mike Carnegie gave another flush and then Adam Cohen gave him another flush and, all, and then we all three, uh, the three of us launched it. So that's awesome. That was, uh, 12 years now. So we'll save that for another day. Yeah. For today we're in the Red Willow project. It's a multifamily project. And when I say we're in it, like we're literally in it, like he's sitting on a milk crate uh, laptop is resting on a piece of OSB on top of a cardboard box. And you're sitting in like a kind of a nice old lawn chair. <laughs> um, yeah, and so apologies for the quality. We have a nice microphone here, and it might pick up the train that's not too far and some planes going, but hopefully we'll be the dominant uh, acoustical input you'll hear. So I, I wanted to approach this, um, like when we were kind of prepping for this, you, you were talking about the project in a way that had me thinking of the the systems involved in housing and particularly two that we don't often talk about. Like, so when we talk about systems, like there's enclosure systems, there's MEP systems, solar systems, things like that, foundation systems. But you were talking about like from a very fundamental level, the housing system itself, right? The, the, the fact that we're facing a shortage and as a society here in North America, we have a tremendous need to build more places for people to live affordably and uh if you don't mind could you just share like the origin story like how uh, i guess i guess that's sort of a little bit of an origin story of how red door sustainability got started and i'm assuming this is their first this is our first project this is our first yeah so red uh red door sustainable housing is a, a the 
the, the project put together by Ginger Siegel and myself. And she and I have been friends for 35 years now. We wow. met when she was um, uh, worked for the tenants union and she was running a, uh, and so she's been involved in housing, primarily emergency housing or shelter housing wow. um, for decades. And she's a, uh, independent operator putting together packages for the traditional capital A affordable housing community now. Okay. So with uh, tiny home villages, uh, works with the tribal communities around here, works um, uh, working on a really great project for the Mount Zion Church right now, um, and just really specializes in really thoughtful projects. And so, but we, um, I've worked on, uh, she's lived in three houses over the past 25 years, and I've worked on those three houses five times. So, uh, so and we're dear friends. And uh, so we've had a long conversation of like, wouldn't it be great if, um, and so the idea is, you know, the, there's a lot of, there's a lot of resources out there. Um, wouldn't it be great if housing was seen as, uh, you know, like a, a human right, a need, uh, it, it's a need for everybody. Yeah. Wouldn't it be seen like we as a society, uh, would provide housing for people because it's a it's a tremendous need. Yeah, um, we need to sh we need shelter. We need shelter, and uh, you know, the, the, um, so there are social aspects of it. There are governmental aspects that are providing housing. Yeah. But um, when I first met Ginger, she was also working on saving what's called SRO hotels, uh, single room occupancy hotels, and Seattle um, lost I think twenty thousand rooms over a uh, about a five year period. Like a shocking number of rooms. Might be the whole um, Puget Sound region, but a tremendous number. We can look up that number um, and, uh, and reference it. But uh, um, because historically Seattle was a transient city, um, ships would come in, people um, moving around, working the logging camp. So um, these temporary, you know, week by week, uh, month by month, and they just they were essentially it was decided that they were a vestige of the past and needed to move on. Most of them were concentrated in areas of the city that were getting redeveloped, so whoop, they left. So and these then, SROs have been around for decades. Oh, like since Seattle started. Wow. Ginger and I, um, yeah, lamented their loss. Lamented their <laughs> loss, and it's the idea of like you know, uh, I mean, there's lots of different stages of people having housing and needs, um, and uh, we have, in a lot of regards, turned for where society has turned to um, public agencies to provide housing, um, stable housing and affordable housing, um, not capital A affordable housing, but just lowercase. Uh, um, and that's to me, a stable community is one where people can live long term and don't have to um, see their rents go up five or 10 percent per year. And they can not necessarily worry about, okay, is this going to get sold in two years because the, it got rezoned and it's going to move on and, so right. and, and I'm going to have to move out. So, um, the, you know, there's been, there are plenty of people who are providing that individually, but so we were looking at a way, how can we systematically, um, you know, the housing advocates talk about the, this missing middle components. The yeah. There's the publicly financed stuff and then there's the market rate stuff. Well, there's a section in the middle and how can how could we rally resources to provide stable, lowercase a affordable, energy efficient, forward look thinking, um, neighborhood family oriented housing? Yeah, not to mention healthy with low energy bills and yeah, exactly. So wow, um, so you put your like I'm I'm sitting here in it. You yeah. took that aspiration on. Yeah, and you made it real or you're yeah, making it real. And, and we kicked it around for a number of years. And then we finally uh, found a, another friend, colleague, uh, Wayne, who had a property that needed, uh, it was, you know, a house that had been lived in for many years and had gone through countless adaptations and remodels and needed to be lovingly recycled into raw materials. Um, <laughs> and uh, Modeled so, with a bulldozer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and in, in a, on a street that had been rezoned, so it went from what used to be known as single-family housing. They eliminated that term from um, the zoning now. It's called neighborhood housing, but mm. it's a low density. Interesting. Um, now, and so, but there's low density. Now there's a low rise. And this is a low rise level. So we were, we were able to take this, what had a single house on it, and uh, now there's 10,000 square feet of living space with 12 units in it. And it's going to be a passive house. 
there are four units that are officially designated as a part of the affordable capital A affordable housing market. So um, four of the units will meet the affordable housing structures that the city has. And uh, um, it was because of, um, so we got some property tax abatement that requires uh, some of the one or two of the units. And then there's another program that the city has that required another unit. Uh, I, I spoke wrong earlier. It was two of the four, but we actually three of the four units were sort of um, structurally required unless we paid a bunch of money to, um, but where most developers would just pay that money. But we were like, no, this is what we want to provide anyway. Interesting. So, so we're providing those units and then we're adding a fourth and we're able to make the performer work. With wow. So. so you became a developer and you became a developer in this missing middle, consciously, intentionally, and developers typically work for return on their investment. And so the development team is you, uh, Wayne and Ginger, the three of you. And so what was your uh, seed money? Um, <laughs> How's that work? Yeah, yeah. So, so combination, Wayne had the property and then he'd owned it for mid-aughts, so quite a while. The, the value gone up, so he brought the property. Ginger um, found uh, somebody who wanted to provide the seed money, the cash. Wow. Um, and you know, we've all put some a little bit out of pocket in. Um, I'm putting substantial sweat equity in. Add it all up. Um, are, you, are you the, yeah, right. You're the manager and investor. So manager, you're the construction manager? I'm the construction manager. Um, so they wouldn't, the, we couldn't find a bank who would loan, even though Wayne has been in construction literally since the, he's got 40 years. But between the three of us, Ginger, Wayne, and myself, we have over 100 years of <laughs> work in the construction and development field. But no bank will loan to us because we haven't built a multifamily project before. So, of course, uh, and, yeah, chicken and egg. Yep, yep, yep. So, but that what? So we turned to a, a dear friend of mine and uh, Sloan Ritchie of Cascade Builds, who I have worked for in the past. And he's like, "Yeah, I'll do it, but I need a project manager, and it has to be you." So, I we brought. I'm client and um, employee of the general contractor. Got it. So, a few too many hats. Yeah. which means a lot of hours. So. Yeah, yeah. And there's all there's the normal, uh, let's say, emotional wear and tear of being a construction manager. Um, plus, you have all these other hats. So that's a, so you know, getting back to this this theme of systems, right? Um, and those of you listening, right? So all of us, you know, those of you listening, you know, us here, we're all involved in the system that delivers houses to society. And you know, the the theme of this podcast is. And things like this are happening too, because this is not uh, this is not your normal development. So we have um, three people being very aspirational and thoughtful, and you know, at, at a very basic level, what you're saying is, I actually we haven't talked about the financial side yet. We'll get to that right now. But what you're saying is that there's a financial return on investment, and there's also this return on investment that. I don't know exactly how to describe it. It's like it's like emotional or it has, it's a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose. Something, it's like actualizing your values as a person. Or Yeah, talk about that for a minute. Then. Well, I know I took you to it. <laughs> you, you said it really well. I mean, up, straight up, like Wayne, Ginger, myself, we've always approached the, the world from a, like trying to make a better world. Mm -hmm. How can I help? And, how can, and to me, that was critical of uh, why I embraced passive. I was always like, oh, I can actually do good in the world, not just delivering a project for this individual client, but actually I can build better buildings that mm -hmm. will change the industry. Do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, we're already doing, we're doing that, but, but we've all, you know, we've all long-term residents of Seattle. None of us are native, but we've all been here since the eighties or nineties. And we've just seen the tremendous trials and tribulations that, that the city has undergone, you know, similar to Austin, like yeah. the massive develop, massive change. You know, the city population, the regional population is more than doubled just in my tenure. Um, uh, and it's, it's, it's rough. It's, uh, it's a layer after layer and well, I deal with housing. So how can I use my motivations? How can we as a team use our motivations to help the, you know, and it's just one project, but hopefully it will it will 
have implications. You know, we said earlier the term the missing middle. How how can we we work on a mechanism that could help provide housing for that missing middle segment? Um, and because uh, uh, there's the constant flow of transitions, the last, uh, and at this moment, there's widespread acknowledgement that we need to provide in-city, denser, good living environments. And it's a lot of really small apartments going up. There's a lot of really maximizing living space, but uh, you know, those, and that that fills a need for absolutely, but it doesn't necessarily fill a uh, long-term family need. There's a lot of displacement. When you tear down a house and build, you know, twenty studio apartments, you're not delivering. You're you're displacing the the people who are living in that three or four bedroom house. Where are they moving? Well, they're not moving into a studio apartment. Right. So it was striking to me that uh, there's three bedroom units in this place too. Right. Yeah. So I get I get your point. So what we're able to do with this one, we're able to okay. There was a single family house here, one house that had three bedrooms, and we're able to now deliver. 12 units with 21 bedrooms. And so there's now two three bedrooms, five two bedrooms and five one bedrooms um, with a, you know, and on I, the same piece of dirt, on the same piece of dirt, mm-hmm. there's space for a garden, there's space for individual living, there's space for community living. Um, there's we're two and a half blocks from a train. You'll hear the train in the background, a train station, you'll hear that in the background. So it's a really yeah. good, easy access. Is that light rail? It's a light rail, mm-hmm. yeah. you, you know, and it's expanded and the bus system's right there as well. So there's really good, it, yeah, um, we're a few miles from downtown. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and so we're able to sort of uh, hopefully provide a little bit of um, um, alleviation to 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 those dem- demographic shifts that are really pressuring. Yeah, pressuring. yeah. That, that's that's a simple way to say it. An alleviation. I mean, fundamentally change their lives for the better. You know, and who knows how that ripples out. You know. I, So, so um, one thing I want to be very careful with is using the term affordable because okay. affordable housing has a very specific. Yeah. You said lowercase a. Yeah. It's, it's and, and that's just the word affordable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the affordable housing community meets a tremendous need. We need to, we, we also, there's meant there's, we need to bring more than just that. Not only rely on that. Um, I so, get it. So fundamentally you're saying, could there be a non-publicly funded, version of affordable housing and you set you're setting yourself a course to find out yeah so we talked about you know the need for the more houses and now let's talk if you could just be kind of brief about the financial arrangements you have here and i'll set you up so i know that wayne his financial stake in this was offering his land and then yours is the sweat equity as the project manager and your skill um and then Ginger was finding the funding. So is somebody, one of you sign or is like responsible for the money, co-sign for it? We're that? all, I mean, we're all, the, okay. we all, we all have homes. And when we went to go for a bank loan, they, just all of our homes. Got it. So you put your homes up as collateral. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you, the developers, they've got, you know, that's my first, I've, I've worked for developers many times. I know many developers and there's always, the banks are always like, okay, we, we're not going to have to come for this, but oh, if a two crash like 2008 comes, then we're going to come for it. So, um, so yeah, we all signed on for that. Wow. That was brave. That was bold. And you're, you're putting your, your money, your house, where your values are. I, I honor that. And then, so there's going to be a return on investment in the coming years. Like someone's going to be living yeah. here. They're going to be paying rent yeah. and that rent is going to pay off the, the loan that was taken to develop this and i assume also send you guys a mm-hmm. stream of revenue yeah so so this is affordable housing but it's lowercase a lowercase a affordable important important yeah. distinction yeah. there there are four of the four of the twelve four of the 12 units are within the within the the network or the mechanism the established mechanism of, of affordable housing and of course an ambulance is going to come by <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, yeah. listeners, please yeah. bear with us. Okay, so four, <laughs> four of the units are, are officially uh, capitally affordable. The other eight are priced in an effort to provide stable housing and be lowercase a affordable, but they're still, they're not cheap. There's no question about it, but they are going to, they're going to, um, one of the challenges for housing. But you here, could have asked for more, maybe. 
Yeah, we could we could ask for it, and what um, we'll get to that in a minute with the bank loan. Actually, we're also endeavoring to stabilize the rents, whereas most people ah. are seeing a five percent annual increase in rents. We're shooting; we're going to shoot for two to three percent. So, okay, at the first flush, the the bank loan demands it be profitable, uh, only a little tiny bit in the first year, but over time it has to have a, a be able to perform demands that it runs on profit. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to, uh, we've agreed to accept a limited profit for the investors, the equity investors, uh, some essentially in parallel for a bank loan, which is, you know, when you go out on the, on the, uh, for commercial bank, if you go out on the, on the, on the retirement community, when people with their 401ks or their pensions, they're looking for a certain something that's in a certain similar range. So the whole way to, that we're trying to re-envision this idea is that housing, okay, we can rely on the wider investment community. It doesn't have to be a charity. It can be a profit thing, but it's a limited profit. And the profit, instead of this really, um, there's a, and a lot of folks are um, looking for 10 or 15% returns, annual returns on their property Ooh. after they're established. Um, and it's, it's, it's a, and people are getting it and that's but those you're seeing that's why you're seeing the rent uh, rises at five to ten percent per year um and really coming in with these small micro units is, is maximizing the number of units um minimizing costs uh and uh and maximizing return for the investors well no we're actually limiting the return for the investors it's capped and it's a 10-year commitment, so you know I'm in my 50s, and I hope to not be working in a decade and relaxing more than I am these days. Yeah. So I will be able to essentially take this 10-year investment and re- recoup my sweat equity with a small limited profit. Um, that's just, uh, in roughly paralleling a bank loan. So um, what a great story. Yeah. And, and so, but it's not just about me and getting that return. It's the idea like trying to set up a mechanism. So our job now is to polish this pattern and um, yeah. find other folks who are interested because, mm-hmm. you know, people like Wayne who made, made some uh, financial decisions and established, uh, established themselves uh, with a property the equity. Um, and, and equity um, uh, are like, well, I want to make a better city. I don't know how I don't want to, you know, but politics, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not, they're not going to look to the politicians to do it. So this is a, a mechanism that we are trying to work on that could work well with people who have good intentions, uh, who, but who still want to sort of have a not guaranteed return, but a expectation of some return mm-hmm. uh, on a, on a, on a time frame. You know, that, that's the goal right now where we're, we're trying to find the, the, you know, we were able to come to the table and sort of make maybe more accommodations than uh, just the rent, than if we put it out to the public and ask for right. people. Um, but, uh, you know, we're getting some financial advisors in, you know, who were saying, okay, this is how you could package it and this is how you could work with it. So um, you you were tilling new ground with all this as you guys were exploring, is this possible, is this doable? So getting to this point where I'm sitting on your slab inside your frame building, this is a big step. You're already... You already high fived yeah. at yeah. some point, yeah. Yeah. and yeah, and I get it. You're looking for a balance between return on your economic investment, economic return on your economic investment, as well as this sense of value, the sense of meaning and purpose, and and having knowing that you are having a tangible material impact in people's lives, and you're building societal infrastructure that'll certainly, uh, I guess I shouldn't say certainly outlive you. Maybe they'll figure out some way to make us immortal in the next few years. <laughs> Yeah, that's impressive. That's really like it's complicated. I'm sure too. The housing challenges are a community concern, and I, I strongly, I mean, I, I strongly feel that we as individuals are one of the best resources to uh, address the community concern, um, and we as individuals can come together and band together and, and to the resilience, rather than just relying upon um, mm-hmm. uh, um, public agencies or public funding. I think we. I think there's a lot of really goodwill in concert with those. Yeah, um, they they they're they're certainly delivering great, terrific projects. But we we need more than just that. So we as individuals can do to provide that. Here, here, man. You guys listening? That that's good stuff.
Um, I think it's a good time to pivot. Let's go through sort of briefly through the, the more nerdy nuts and bolts stuff. <laughs> So the enclosure system, I'm turning my head and looking at it. It is a two by eight on a stem wall, right? Mm -hmm. uh, how much CI? None. No, no CI. Continuous and you're the CPHC on this? I'm the CPHC on this. Um, so, so it just worked, the climate. It is so, I mean, I probably no CI. could have even made it work with a two by six wall. So this is a two by eight wall. It's I would say marginally advanced framed in that we're doing some work to minimize wood in the walls uh, and maximize insulation, but it's still 16 on steel on center, still double top plate, still the traditional platform framing. Um, there's, there's a lot of wood in this building. Um, that's great to know. I mean, the, the tenants of, you know, FIAS is as it has thermal rich reconstruction. So I guess that's trumped by the energy balance or the energy inputs. And I, 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 as um, teaching the this builder program for years, I, there's, the, there's the phrase thermal bridge free construction. No construction is thermal bridge free. Yeah. None. And so it's this endeavor like looking at where your thermal bridging is and how bad is it and what's going on. So, so thermal you, bridge free is actually a euphemistic sort of statement. Yeah. Because yeah, there, there's thermal freer, freer than normal. Yeah, like what? Like <laughs> it's like okay. There's 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 the ford through the river. The river can constantly flows. There are shallower places. There are deeper places. And so, um, okay. So two by eight walls. Two by eight walls. It's R10 through a two by eight in plywood. That's an R10 wall. Down the middle of the wall, I've got you know R32 through the middle of my insulation pack uh, with the drywall and the sheathing on the outside. What insulation? Um, so the market here in Seattle is strongly driven by blown in fiberglass or fiberglass. Um, we don't have, I, this is actually something I've, um, you know, really looked into heavily a decade ago, uh, uh, trying to move towards cellulose and the installers just aren't experienced at it. So, Interesting. So we just literally, it's all because, these forests yeah, right there. I know, but they use the forest products for construction materials. Yeah. Um, and but almost all cellulose is from recycled newspaper and and paper products. Well, we're not in a high dense population. So yeah. where do you source? I mean, and especially now, newsprint's essentially gone. Where yeah. do you source these paper products? Well, around here, they, they, they turn, they, they high graded into other products. So we import, I think we import our cellulose from far afield. Well, they make fiberglass with cheap hydroelectricity across the way. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, it's, it's, cheaper and it's it's more of a commodity in this yeah it's a good system so um so around here it's very hard it, you can find people who would do cellulose but uh in for the most part when people are doing a blown in insulation product they're gonna they're they're gonna come to the table with mm -hmm. so okay so again you're you're keeping track of your priorities here your priority is to provide that lowercase and a little bit of uppercase a affordability which means you can't stray too far from mainstream norms yep. for construction yeah yep 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 Anything else interesting? Oh, let's talk about the windows and doors. Well, actually, the the one thing, oh, please, uh, yes. maybe one one, but one thing that the two by eight wall does allow for us to do is with a six inch stem wall, even with a three story building, six inches of concrete for a stem wall is structurally sound, even in this high seismic zone. Wow! You just got to find the, the structural engineer to do the math. So um, with that, then the 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 uh, we we have a seven and three quarter inch thick framed wall, half inch plywood seven and a quarter, two by eight. It allows us to project over the inside of a stem wall, inch and three quarter uh, with uh, rigid insulation. So, so you do have CI along the stem wall. I have CI on the stem wall. So I do have CI, you're mm -hmm. absolutely right. Yeah, you and, but you know, so it's a traditional, stable, very common foundation, stem wall, slab, thermal break at the perimeter of the slab. Um, a friend of mine actually sourced below the slab. Uh, so there's a continuous insulation below the slab. Okay, um, how thick is that? Well, a friend of mine's uh, sourced off of uh, the, the, the OMSI, which is the museum of um, mm -hmm. in Portland. He he pulled off uh, Oregon Museum of Science and in Industry. I forget. Um, it's a great building. Walsh Construction re-roofed it uh, summer before last, and my friend was walking his dog, watching all this insulation come off, and was like, "Hey, can I?" Can I get that? So we have wow, um, this is recycled insulation. Thirty-two hundred square feet of R twenty recycled insulation. That so, is awesome. Super fun. So it is and a, good for them for they saying yes. It's yeah. I've, I've asked to take things out of landfills and dumpsters and they're told no. Yeah, 
hands off my trash. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's a little bit. Of, I had to buy ten sheets of new insulation for the structural locations. But that's, yeah. Otherwise, the whole this whole this lab. What what is the footprint of this building? Um, right around 30, 3,200 square feet. Wow. So not all that big. 30, and the total is around 12,000? Uh, 10,000 square feet. 10, there, there's, square there's a little um, cantilever over the front, so that's why we go up to 10,000. So 10,000 square feet, and it's 12 dwellings. 12 dwellings. Yeah. yeah. And I forgot how many? Three, three bedrooms? Two, three bedrooms, five, two bedrooms, five, one bedrooms. Wow. Yeah. Okay, and here's a helicopter. Boy, the audio on this one. I hope you guys <laughs> should start laughing. Okay, so that's the enclosure system. You got Euroline doors, yep. windows. They're made up in British Columbia. They're a good support. Um, we did so in the balance. Um, well, actually, just to feed into the noise in the background, we live next to a train and a busy street. There's helicopters. So, um, triple glazed windows are actually not uncommon purely for sound transfer. Mm -hmm. Good SCC rating. So yeah, but you are missing the front door currently. We are missing the front door, and we're missing insulation up above, so the helicopters, etc. Yeah, I see. But uh, and we're missing insulation in the walls. Yeah. But add it all up. Um, triple glazed is not uncommon, even in the city, to approach it for its sound transfer. Right. Well, so Euroline was able to deliver these um, good quality of vinyl. They are vinyl, um, but triple glazed with a cardinal product, uh, cardinal glazing. And what's the number there? Say 0.19 from NFRC standards on my picture window. Um, and, uh, yeah. So the 0.19 U factor. That yeah. is 0.34 SHGC. Yeah. yeah. Good uh, for you. And so the price point must be decent as well, or at least you had to get windows of this caliber. Yeah. In order for the no continuous insulation to work on the walls, we need a good windows. Yes. Well, we need a good windows anyway for the good sound transfer coefficient and you know, it's just helps. I mean, from a comfort standpoint, it's, I mean, an uh, effective R23 wall next to a, okay, that's only an R5 door, but it's so much nicer even to be able to have that combination. Mm -hmm. um, Are the right. windows of the similar spec to that? Yep. 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 Excellent. Um, and then, oh, one other cute thing about this building in terms of the enclosure is uh, we actually chose a, a, um, pitch roof rather than a flat roof for a number of reasons. I had some challenges, some opportunities, but one of the challenges was what do you do for sprinkles, the sprinklers, uh, fire suppression in a pitch roof while well, you put your sprinklers up there. Well, it gets really expensive because it's in the cold unless you fill it with insulation. Mm -hmm. So a very low slope, but pitched roof. So, and that's, that's my carbon sequestration strategy. I've got 15,000 cubic feet of cellulose insulation going up in the attic. And uh, that uh, mitigates the need for sprinklers up there. So you were able to get the cellulose, just not for the walls. Yeah, they they uh, it's so much the, the the skill needed for it. Right to get the right density of cellulose. You yeah, know, in the walls. Yep. Yeah. And so you know the guys that you know there are people who do it in the walls here, but it's uh, it's harder to find and it's more a specialty. Mm -hmm. So um, so yeah, but. Uh, um, so, you know, it's essentially an effective R100 in the roof, but that's purely for sprinklers, not for the heat stopping. And they must be fairly low in that R100 away from the outside surface of the roof. Th there are no sprinklers up there because we filled the. Oh, filled oh, right, right, right. Because yeah. there's no cavity. There's no cavity. Well, there's a shallow cavity. You're allowed to set a shallow cavity, just a shallow ventilation cavity. That's right. Okay. So you fill the roof R100. Okay, so on average, two by eight, no CI, recycled CI on the slab, on the walls, recycled CI on the slab, R100 lid to get away from sprinklers, <laughs> pitched roof. We're going to come back to the pitched roof on the energy systems. Uh, let's talk about mechanicals here. What, what's your plan? Um, so I know a lot of projects that have single family and multifamily that have, uh, well, when I think of mechanical, I always think of ventilation. First and foremost, that's the, the biggest challenge. Good for you. <laughs> and uh, a lot of them have a lot of problems maintaining them over time. So um, a lot of folks are going to unit by unit, mm. but I just, I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think that's a long, a good long-term strategy unless you have a very specific population that's ready for somebody to come in on a regular basis. We also have, we're starting to have a lot of smoke events. Um, we, we live, uh, this building is close to a major arterial want to have good filters that are maintained regularly. Yeah. So uh, I uh, 
critical decision was made early on to combine the systems. We initially went for combine the systems on a floor or the whole building. We initially started to try to combine one unit for the whole building, but it got cost prohibited in terms of distribution. Um, and so then we went to floor by floor. So we've got one ventilator per floor, and uh, you know, th- at that point, they don't have to be very large. So we're just using the, st- the, the largest Zenders on the market. I think it's a Q600. Mm-hmm. So we've got three of those in the building. And uh, we, are use- we are doing direct ventilation range hoods. Um, so just because family housing, we're endeavoring for people to be using their kitchens regularly. Uh, so that's a little bit of a experiment, shall we say, it's because it's a, a lot of passive house folks are moving towards uh, doing continuous ventilation and not doing exhaust ventilation. But we're actually able to use the large volume of the building to balance out the neg- the this need for um, makeup air. Mm-hmm. And so we're actually slightly pressurizing the building with our ventilation system because we're negatively pressurizing it through the exhaust range hoods. And we're, so we're going up. FIAS has a specific protocol about you can't go too far one side or the other of neutral. So we're pushing it on on the well, pressurization to that point, so we can make account for the negative pressurization on the other end. Even when, like, on the unlikely reality of everyone's at once, the, the, they they have a range hood on high. Yeah, they, 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 there is a uh, specific protocol from a study done on multifamily um, mm, nice. uh, of uh, how many people ever turn them on simultaneously, <laughs> or even ever turn them on. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, you limit the size, the capacity of the range hood, and then you assume that a certain, only a certain portion will ever be on. So, yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, all, all four burners or however many burners are working on the stove is also yeah. on like them. It's all like awesome. building. It's like a good trade off. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, historically if buildings like this in Seattle would have no cooling. And I know a lot of you out there are like, Oh, what? No cooling. <laughs> well, it's actually in all. My many, you know, my 30 years of residential construction in Seattle specific, actually 35 years, I've only ever installed two cooling systems on projects. It's just, and Ginger throws it in my face all the time because I told her, oh yeah, the only people who ever need to put cooling in Seattle in a residence is the the ones that are poorly designed. Um, Because historically, we would have the occasional hot day, but we would always cool down at night. So we'd always be able to open the windows at night and allow a little bit of interaction. But we're now finally getting to the point where our peaks during the day are much higher and our cooling at the night is not as cool as it used to be. Yeah. So with that combination, it's not, it's just, uh, it's actually become more, well, we had uh, the heat dome in recent memory, and more people died in the Pacific Northwest from um, heat-related incidents than uh, in one year than have died for in decades in terms of hypothermia. Wow! So um, it was it was a human. It's actually wow. So the human stress was higher with the heat. Yeah, yeah. it's because our infrastructure we don't have it. We don't have cooling stations. Um, our our structures are not designed for heat. With a lot of overheating issues. So this building, um, we we're definitely we're going to be putting cooling in. So we've chose. I I really don't like the mini split systems for various reasons: mm. aesthetic, um, all the coolant, or the refrigerant. Sorry, refrigerant that's involved with them. Um, but also because we haven't needed cooling in this market, in, installation of a single head mini split is slightly outrageously expensive. So the refrigerant volume is an issue for you with mini splits as well. A close friend of mine, old house, overheat, went, uh, works for uh, in the energy industry, went to get a, a retrofitted two-head mini split, and it was $24,000. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And, and uh, okay, we went down to one head, and it was still 17000 and that was that was that were, that was a retrofit, but our mark it's just outrageously expensive here. So I don't wow. like it for the it's you're it's very expensive for what I think is not very good product. Um, and we also don't or haven't been doing much ducted heating. 
for a little while, especially in the, in the green world, because we're trying to get away from the gas and the forced air furnaces. You know, so most, uh, most, of, a lot of the market here has moved to either hydronic heating or uh, simple electric resistance heating. So we don't have a very so good... So hydronic forced air or hydronic radiant? Hydronic radiant. Okay. And so that's the sort of the foundation of our local localized right. construction industry. Well, so now we're coming in with... Uh, and I want to call out that you just said electric resistance baseboard heat is also common here. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, very, very Okay, common. so you're, you're not doing either of those. We actually are in our bedrooms. We're oh. doing um, because... Um, uh, I'm actually not even sure if it's still code mandated, but to, to have a heating source in your bedrooms here or not, but it's very common because if you don't, then people put in a space heater. And, and, and so we are putting small um, 450 watt code heaters in our bedrooms. So and in the main space, in the main space, we're putting in a unitized heat pump. So it's uh, by, made by Apoca uh, out of Italy and it is uh, a single unit with an inlet and an outlet and uh, a condensate drain and a power hookup. And uh, so there's no split system. The refrigerants are all contained. Or since it's uh, we're getting them literally, unfortunately, custom made out of Italy, we're able to specify R32 as a refrigerant. Um, and uh, they will be on the walls. And so I see they're breathing through two holes in the wall. What size are those? those well, these holes are eight inches because these are the smaller capacity. Um, the, the holes are eight inches, but the duct themselves is a six inch duct. So it's an insulated duct? No. It's I, not. Yeah, I didn't think it was, but no. why are your holes bigger than your ducts? Because because it actually has a flange on it, because so that it drains to the exterior. So well, it starts six inches, but it's actually conical. It's a two part um, duct. Interesting. So the Hippoca is a conical duct, it's not constant diameter. Yeah, um, because because they're connected to the exterior and they want it to drain to the exterior. Yeah, it makes sense. So could just tilt it though. Yeah, I know, but but they didn't. But they but I also I'm also uh, sourcing them. There is not one to look at, and so I can't like precisely measure it and get everything located. So, so that's bold. I mean, in the sense that yeah. you you didn't wait for the market to vet these and make sure that they were solid and robust. Yeah. How, how did that betting go? Uh, well, like, I actually talked to field trip to Italy and <laughs> I wish uh, maybe it'll send me. Um, uh, so it's been on, I, I asked you, I sent yeah, you I an email um, and I asked around and some other folks hadn't installed them yet, but we're in getting ready to install them. Um, so there's a lot of interest and uh, you know, it seems like, it's always fun to take one little piece and experiment on, you know, air tightness. Okay. We've been doing that for a long time. It's always a challenge, but it's nothing new about that. Triple glazing. That's fine. You know, thermal bridge free, thermal bridge, quote unquote, free construction. So for me, you know, I was ready to go to Italy and yeah, to get my, we get my part. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't want to do it without some, uh, th there is another unit on the market and I've actually heard somewhat, compromised feedback on them so, so i should not say that name no i'm not going to. so interestingly though, just just to make sure your listeners you're, you're tracking this so there's basically two six inch holes in the wall eight inch eight inch, inch holes. wall with a conical fitting that has like a nominal six inch duct on the inside yeah dan explain to me what the holes in the wall do <laughs> so um picture a heat pump it needs an energy source and it needs a place to oh, deposit an exhaust an exhaust so there's one that is bringing in air and there's and another that is exhausting air. And the heat pump is either either taking energy from or dumping air, uh, energy into that airstream. So it's air in, air out. And, uh, and, uh, and it's right there. The uh, heat pump water heater is doing the exact same thing. Um, it's just we're using the outside um, uh, to, and we're dumping the air mm -hmm. outside. Yeah, the fundamentals of a heat pump like that, it's basically waste heat in the environment that we can harness you know, otherwise unusable waste to you. What, and one benefit for us is that we don't get that hot or get that cold. Mm -hmm. So we still, it Your will CMPs. still work well, even in our cold days and it will still work well in our hot days. Yeah. So. Yeah. You have, you have a pretty nice Goldilocks climate here, although a lot of gray days in the winter. A lot of gray days. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So closure, window door, mechanicals. So we got Zenders, we got the Epoca.
unitized. Let's talk solar PV and batteries and then wrap it. Speaking of gray days, speaking we get we still get sun sunshine around here. <laughs> it's beautiful sunny today, by the way. Crystal yeah. clear sunny. So um, uh, our we actually live in a desert if you only looked at it from July through September. Hmm. Just in terms of and we get a lot of these beautiful clear days and we get long days. So we get up to sixteen hours of sunshine. Yeah, I've been noticing that. And it's, it's bright early and it's bright late. And it's it's and uh, which adds an interesting puzzle because you know you look at the maps and solar exposure and so we don't have nearly as involved a solar industry as Texas just because we don't have that resource. But and but our resource is actually concentrated very much in um, in the in the June through October, shall we say. Uh, we also have a challenge here because our electricity is very inexpensive because it's largely hydro-based and the hydro infrastructure is in place already. So we actually have very inexpensive energy and it's very stable too. Right. So, um, but we still get solar uh, and it was on the wish list, but it was lower down on the tiers and um, definitely was going to be passive house. Most important was the uh, lowercase affordability, lowercase a affordability. Second tier was neighborhood family housing next and, and then, you know, healthy and then healthy. Okay. That led into passive house. So on the tiers all the way, you know, pretty close to the bottom uh, was okay. We want to produce some energy as well. Um, not just be a consumer uh, because we actually have a f- relatively low cost, stable electricity. Um, but um, we, the, uh, the, in the energy transition and from federal funding and state funding, it was a grant opportunity and that we pursued from Washington State Department of Commerce and they awarded the project an, a sizable grant. And so, Congrats. yeah, it's really, it's really exciting. So add that piece. And so most of your production is going to happen in the summer. Very much so. Yeah. It's totally weighted to the summer. Uh-huh. And there's almost, you know, uh, the projects, one project that I mostly monitored, the Madonna Passive House, you know, it was, you know, the, the, the arc, it was almost non-existent in December, January. Yeah. And then it was so much you know, come the summer months. Uh, we won't be able to be net zero just because we're a dense apartment building with a lot of people, a lot of living going in. But because of the pitched roof uh, that we was for other decisions, it allowed us to have a slightly more roof area. We've got a roof overhang. From a building science perspective, I do That's not understand why people don't put overhangs on these buildings. Yeah. It's, okay, if you put a five-story building, okay, one thing. But if you only got a three-story building, please give me an overhang. The only good thing I can say about it, put my trade hat back on. It's job security for carpenters <laughs> so, um, and All painters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, so our roof has an overhang. Our roof is pitched. The geometry is good. But it also, within the code regulations, allows us to um, have more coverage. Whereas if it was a flat roof, we would have need a larger um, uh, area walking for area, area, walking the area. Area, yeah. Whereas this one, we can go essentially right to the rim. So we've got 50 kW, uh, just over 50 kW. Wow. Roof. And um, 18 of that will be going for the house meter. House meter is going to do all domestic hot water production, um, all ventilation, all comet corridor lighting, the sewage pump, storm sewer pump, um, those sorts of house meter stuff. And then the, uh, but then that allows another what's that, uh, 32 kilowatt to be divided between the 12 units. So everybody will get their own system. So they can all, and that will be another element of the affordability, uh, and they can work to lower their electricity bills as well. That's so, awesome. So, and so, big thanks to Department of Commerce, Washington Department of Commerce, for the yeah. for that. So, we didn't go into hot water systems. So, yeah, let's talk about that and then wrap up. Yeah. Originally, didn't want hot waters in every unit, hot water heaters in every unit. Um, the, uh, some folks were saying just put an electric resistance hot water in every unit, it's fine. But we were limited by the size of the service coming into the building. Oh. So um, didn't want that. So we wanted heat pumps. Um, then it turned into, well, let's make it a centralized system. Well, we decided, well, let's do make it a semi-centralized system using five, five different heat pump water heaters distributed around the building. And certain units would be connected to each one. But then it was just like, no, let's just go a single unit circulation system central hot water plant 
And so that's the Sandco slash Sandin units. Believe it or not, 12-unit apartment building, 14 bedrooms, sorry, 14 bathrooms, 21 bedrooms, predict, predicted to have somewhere between, you know, 20 to 30 people living in here. Uh, two outdoor sanding units are enough capacity. Wow. And, and so do you remember the tank line? We have two tanks, one's 200, one's 80. Wow. They have a good first hour rating. They have a good first hour rating. We've got a reheat in the... Uh, um, in the circulation, the main main circulation tank, but it probably won't ever come on because somebody's going to go on hot water in the building on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and uh, that one is actually um, the Washington State and Seattle are really looking at that one hard because moving um, all these multifamily buildings to it's it's pretty much a mandate now to do electric resistance, sorry, electric hot water in multifamily. In Currently, like it's moving away from gas. Yes, which was the historical. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, yeah, so, um, so impressive. So even the plumber was interested because they've got a whole bunch more on their on their docket. To do. Thank you, Dan. So uh, when are people moving in? I sure hope in November, which unfortunately is a terrible time to rent a place out. So we'll How see. so? Uh, just the rental market. Nobody wants to move in. Oh, right, right for the holidays. Yeah, right for the holiday. It's rainy. It's dark. So um, <laughs> we were we were held up in permitting, so we didn't get to start construction until November of 2022. So we're you know the ideal 11, 12, 13 month um, uh, construction cycle. We were held up. We had a couple holdups. Um, so. That's where we have that opening party at Halloween. Well, thank you for very much, Dan. I appreciate your aspirations, you and your other investors. Um, really impressive business model. I hope it catches on. Thank you. Thank you, Christoph. Always great to share share thoughts with you and also hear all the great stuff you do out there. So, my pleasure. And thank you all for listening.